On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now you're welcome to On the Record with me, Emmett Oliver, sitting in this weekend for Gavin Riley. You're very welcome along on what is a very sad and subdued weekend for the people of Creaselaw and Donegal, also for the whole country. We have four men, three women, one teenage boy and two young girls, all deceased after an appalling tragedy and explosion yesterday, in the t- sorry, on Friday at about half three there, approximately really heartsick uh, coverage and also heartsick news still coming out. Lots of people still being treated in hospital as well. Let me just briefly read you across the morning headlines, all of them trying to do justice to the scale and the depth of this tragedy. We have the Sunday Times saying, Gardaí examining CCTV footage of horror blast that killed 10 teenager from girls rugby team among victims after building collapsed at service station. Just one word across the front of the Sunday Independent. That's a devastation. The deafening sound of silence, says a columnist uh, Brendan O'Connor on the front page there. And the Daily Mail on Sunday says this is our darkest day. Ten confirmed dead in blast. Garthy are treating as tragic accident. And the Sunday Business Post also has a story about the Taoiseach describing it. Uh, really as an unspeakable tragedy I think that's the only word it's actually hard to to put words on what's happened to young families to the victims to their parents and to people just going about their normal humdrum daily lives Uh, and we'll have coverage throughout the day of the whole situation there in Creaselong we're going there live to start off the programme where Barry White who is our reporter on the ground in Donegal has been following events since Friday afternoon good morning to you Barry hello Barry I'm not hearing Barry, I don't think. Oh, Barry, you're there now. Barry is not... not. So Barry White, he's been on the ground for since Friday. As I said, the accident happened at about half three. Barry, are you there now? Hi, Emmett, how are you? Good Sorry, there, some technical gremlins. It's been, uh, as I called it, a heartsick weekend for everybody in the town. It's probably worth reminding people the town's population is about uh, 330 people or thereabouts, according to the last census. So it's a small, tight-knit community. And how have people been absorbing what is really being described as a tsunami of grief? Uh, there was a service um, last night. Uh, what's been happening this morning and how are people just feeling this morning? It must be just an incredible atmosphere there. Yeah, it's just an eerie silence here this morning. Really bad weather here today, raining, but there's still people standing out at the cordon paying their respects. Um, As you mentioned there, there was a remembrance mass last night in St Michael's Church. There was another mass this morning in the village here in Creasla and hundreds turned out last night and hundreds turned out this morning to pay their respects. Um, And again this morning, many family and friends of those who died attended. While last night the Taoiseach Michael Martin, Tanis Ali of Radcar and Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald also attended. Um, and during the service last night, 10 red candles were lit to uh, remember each victim. And we know now that you were saying there yourself, Emmett, we know now that a five-year-old girl, a teenage boy, a teenage girl, and four men and three women all died uh, in the explosion. And they are all from the wider Creaselaw area. Um, and like you say, it's an area where everyone knows everyone. And the last census, you said, yeah, the population is 330. I think maybe the wider population is about 400. And, you know, 10 people from this area have died. It's 4% of the population here is just gone in the blink of an eye. And uh, I spoke to local man Noel McGinley after last night's remembrance service. And he told me that he actually knows the families of everyone who died in the blast. I never saw the community. Uh as devastated and uh, having such a hard time to, 
held by it there last night, but the, the community really came together and everyone that could do anything was there to help. I never thought I would ever see a day like it in Chrysler and the services, the Gardaí and the fire services from both sides of the border were all there. And, and that's and one thing that everybody keeps mentioning who you speak to is the community, the close-knit community. Yeah. But then, I suppose, on the other hand, the tragedy like this, everybody knows somebody who's been impacted by this. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I know all the families. I wouldn't know all the people that have died, but I would know their families. And uh, it's just going to be a very tough 10 days ahead of us. But uh, hopefully, uh, nights like tonight is a big help there. And um, I think the way the community has come together to support everybody is just unbelievable. Uh, you know, you don't want to see days like this ever again, but uh, it was definitely uh, nice to see the community giving such support. As you say, you know, all the families impacted. Have you been speaking to the families? How's everyone coping? After I just found it tragic last night, standing along with parents crying and wondering whether people are loving or dead. It's going to be a very hard maybe 10 days and uh, it's hard on everyone involved. Now, local man Noel McGinley there, and, and he's absolutely right because from tomorrow onwards, our organisation and logistics for those funerals will begin. Nobody wants them to be getting, but it has to be done. And the area will be plunged into, I suppose, a fresh wave of grief, Barry. I mean, what's the week ahead going to look like for all these people? I mean, it's absolutely wretched what they're going to be facing into and all in such a, a small, concentrated area. Yeah, the next week or so is just going to be so, so tough. Um, there will be 10 funerals in the wider area. Um, eight of the funerals will be in St. Michael's Church here in the village, while two of the other funerals will be just in the outskirts. Uh, of Creaselet in the North Donegal area. And some of the names have started to emerge here locally um, uh, today. Letterkenny Rugby Club paid tribute to their under-14 player, Leona Harper, who died. They say Leona was a talented rugby player and they said all her teammates and everyone at the club was heartbroken. While Leona's father uh, said on social media, he described the last 24 hours as nothing short of hell as he paid tribute to his daughter. Uh, the funeral arrangements or the funeral details are, are, are all through out for 23-year-old Jessica Gallagher. Well, the funeral arrangements will be confirmed later, but the obituary is out on the local uh, press here. Uh, Jessica Gallagher, also named locally, she lived in the apartments above the petrol station shop with her boyfriend, who is in hospital in a critical condition. And Jessica used to work as a receptionist in the nearby Shandon Hotel here, and management and staff were telling me last night that they're just heartbroken, uh, heartbroken saying Jessica was very popular with her colleagues. Well, that has also been confirmed locally now that Catherine O'Donnell and her teenage son James also died in the blast, while Martin McGill, who is in his 40s, has also been named. And locals told me he was known locally as Scotch Martin, and I was told he was in the shop maybe twice a day, every day, um, always in there for the chats. Um, he also died in the explosion, uh, very well known locally. And I spoke to local parish priest, Father John Joe Duffy, this morning. He says he knows everyone who died, including uh, the young children. There'll be 10 funerals across Donegal and the vast majority of them will be here in uh, St. Michael's Church, Chrysla. And uh, there are some others that may be outside the parish. There were people from the parish uh, who died in the accident, people from uh, uh, other communities and people who were living in the parish from uh, other communities. So we are 
just starting to um, get our heads around what has happened and try to organise and families are awaiting word from the liaison officers uh, from uh, the Gardaí. And locally now the names are known, some young people, two teenagers, a child. I, I know everyone here in Chrysler, uh, uh, who, who who died as a result of this terrible tragic accident. And it is just heartbreaking. The reality is just uh, starting to dawn upon us because we were, I suppose, if you might say it, that uh, hopefully it's not too cold to say, we were in automatic mode. Uh, we were numbed. We were in shock. Uh, all of us uh, as a community and none more so than the families and all who are directly involved. And also, I continue to ask your prayers for those who remain in hospital as a result of this accident, uh, particularly those uh, who are very ill. Just Mass has ended here again, Father, and you can see when everybody's leaving, everybody's hearsing. I suppose a lot of people are turning to you uh, as the kind of father figure around here. How are you doing? I am heartbroken. It's it's really it's really really tough, uh, and uh, I'm heartbroken. There you go. It's 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 raw. It it is very raw, and it'll take grief is a delayed process. It's going to take uh, quite a while before the full impact, unfortunately, hits. Um, Barry, the more mundane, prosaic part of this, which is trying to find out the why question: what why did this happen? Um, that's going to start taking place a bit more. There is CCTV footage available to Garthi, uh, but the search operations has now ended and we're moving into a different phase, I suppose, of trying to find out what caused this terrible event. Yeah, but the search operation was officially stood down yesterday evening in a, in a sort of weird kind of way. It was dry here for 48 hours during that search operation, but really helped the volunteers and everybody in the emergency services to, to thoroughly go through that search and do it quickly. But... I suppose as soon as the search was stood down last or yesterday evening, the heavens has just opened here and it's just been raining heavily since. And that's kind of just the mood in the area here now. It's just kind of sad and grey. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, the CCTV, the Gardaí trawled through the shop's CCTV footage, which captured the moments before the explosion. And this was key to recovering the bodies of those who died. Uh, the CCTV images are understood to have captured many of the victims as they went about their business and the premises right up to the point of the explosion shortly after three o'clock on a busy Friday afternoon. And this footage provided Gardaí and the emergency services with information that proved vital to the search and rescue operation. It's understood that Gardaí trawled through this footage for hours to help pinpoint the location of victims. Moments before uh, the explosion ripped through the building, it's believed there were around 30 people in the shop and in the apartments above at the time. Uh, and meanwhile, as you say, investigations are now continuing into what triggered the explosion. But Gardaí has said that they do believe that this was just a freak accident. One line of inquiry is that a gas leak may have been the cause. Uh, and there's been many uh, people around here too, just thankful to the emergency services and the volunteers. Uh, I was mentioned uh, yesterday when I was on Anton Savage. People, volunteers travelled from all around the country to be here. People who came from, you know, Dundalk, uh, Newry, Port Rush. I spoke to one man. He, he was with the sniffer dog. He told me he was from Newry. He actually works as a chef. And he told me his pager went off on a Friday evening. And he says he just dropped everything. He drove from Newry to Chrysler, three-hour drive. And he's doing that for nothing. A volunteer. And then they go through everything that they had to go through, you know, searching and finding the bodies. And 
those people were just heroes really and uh, superintendent david kelly from milford garda station paid tribute to his college and all to his colleagues and to all the emergency staff who were involved in the search yesterday afternoon i went to a meeting in falcara actually driving by the location where this happened little did i think i'm standing before you here today this is a tragedy for our community there's families left devastated and i suppose i just want to start off by offering on behalf of myself and my colleagues that attended the scene yesterday and indeed are continuing to do so our, our very sincere condolences uh, Garda response as you, as you can imagine the call comes in we're directed by our north regional western uh, control centre which is based in Galway resources were initially deployed from the Milford Garda district here assisted by members that were off duty I'm proud to say I didn't have to ask for people to turn out for duty they came in we were assisted by members from Letterkenny uh, Ballyshannon there you go that is an update on just the sheer amount of resources called upon people getting to the scene guard the forces from all sorts of regions local guardy of course involved and, and the investigating agencies will also be the HSE of councillors on the ground and, and a big government representation for now though thanks to our chief reporter Barry White who is on the ground and he'll stay with the story as News Talk document and chronicle this terrible tragedy over the next few days from Creesla there will be 10 funerals taking place in the wider area just that amount of funerals the pain and agony, the heart sickness of it all, is it's its hard to comprehend. It's, so you are welcome to On The Record. My name is Emmett Oliver, sitting in this weekend for Gavin Riley on what is a very sad and subdued weekend. You've been hearing earlier on from the events in North Donegal, Creeslaw. It's a small town. It's a town undergoing heart-wrenching grief at the moment. It must be agonising for the parents, for the people who are related to them. There's a whole wider ripple effect across that town. There's going to be a lot of very tough tough days ahead funerals 10 of them to happen um, over the next week or so it's just it's a kind of hard mind boggling really in terms of what's happened up there but trying to do it justice as our newspaper sector um, all of them have had a go this morning a lot of them didn't have a whole lot of time really this has been kind of a a drip drip kind of story and joining me here in studio is Hugh O'Connell he is political correspondent with the Irish Independent and I'm also joined by Lauren Boland who is a reporter with the journal.ie you're both very welcome to On The Record first of all probably not the weekend you'd like to be coming in on this but let's try and see how the papers have handled it a very difficult story for them. Uh, you, if I go to you first, if you might just maybe give us a flavour of some of the main headlines that you're seeing and the kind of tone and approach the papers have taken. Yeah, I suppose, you know, it's the job of, of newspapers and the media generally to sort of, in instances like this where there's been an enormous human tragedy, to sort of reflect that and to pay tribute and to be respectful and to sort of convey the sense of grief that um, that people are feeling about this. And, and obviously, um, you know, they, they try and tell people's stories in as best a way they can. So that there's stories across the papers today, not just of, of the victims, but also those who've been centri- centrally involved in the, in the recovery effort. Um, you know, there's there's a kind of there's some quite striking detail, I think, on the nature of the kind of cross-border cooperation on this. The fact that the PSNI and the Northern Ireland Fire and Rescue Service were heavily involved as well in in the emergency response. Um, and just, I suppose, trying to convey the sense of shock within the community itself. It's a very small community of, I think, between three and four hundred people. Um, you know, and this was the hub of community activity. Um, where people came for for everything that they needed, um, and uh, you know, and didn't have to travel far, uh, so that they didn't have to travel far to to get what they needed. Um, and so, you know, one thing that really struck me, I think, is is that obviously there is a, 
uh, and immediately there is a lot of grief for the for the people who are directly caught up in this, be, be it the, the the families of the victims themselves or people who've been horrifically injured by the by the explosion. But also, I suppose you know, there's a there's a lot of people quoted in the paper saying that oh well, I was in that shop like an hour before, or I was in that shop at the same time the previous day. Um, and those people are kind of thinking now that, geez, you know, what if I had been there at that time? You know, it, it's just a quirk of faith. And the unfairness of those that were. The yeah. unfairness mm-hmm. of those that were. But I mean, you know, p- people, I think, in the community will struggle to cope with that themselves, you know, and it's it's perhaps, you know, it's it's not something that will be focused on because the immediate impact, and, and, and rightly so, and, and, and discussion is around the grief being felt by those directly involved. But those in the community who, for whatever reason, because they were delayed at home or, you know, they left 10 minutes uh earlier than they should have or, or later than they should have and, and, and don't get caught up in that. Um, you know, that's that's an extraordinary thing, I think, for an entire community to have to grapple with now. Uh, and it's something, I think, that the, the village will be changed utterly for, forever by what happened on Friday. Yeah, Laura, your first impressions, um, you, you, you read a few of the headlines. Some of them are gone more technical, talking about the CCDV coverage. Others sort of have tried to pack an emotional punch, which is hard to do justice to this event. I mean, in Irish terms, you know, 10 deaths. I mean, OK, we've had we have had it more occasionally, but very rarely. This is huge just in terms of the number of people impacted. What, what struck you in, in some of the pieces you've been reading? There's no doubt it's huge. And I think even the, 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 the evidence of how huge it is is even seen in the international media coverage it's gotten. You know, we're looking here at the Irish papers, but I've seen this has been covered by the BBC, The Guardian, even further afield. The New York Times had a piece on it. So it's not even that it's something that we've, kind of become occupied here in Ireland it's you know it is it's a grave event that has received international attention and which speaks to just the magnitude of it and I think what struck me across the papers today was you know across different papers this idea of a sense of silence in the aftermath of it kept coming up so um, say for example on the front page of the Sunday Independent um, there's a piece which talks about the the initial sound of the explosion and actually the distance from which that was heard um, so that the explosion was heard several kilometres away from several kilometres away. Um, but then next to that, you have a piece from Brendan O'Connor where he talks about the deafening sound of silence um, and that sense of just how do you kind of, what can you say in sort of the aftermath of that? Um, but then also in the Mail on Sunday, um, a woman quoted as saying, um, you know, this is a witness say in the area. Um, and she said, I thought it was an atomic bomb and I was looking for the plume. Everything shook and then there was just silence. You could not even hear the birds. And I think that that absolute sense of just a, you know, a kind of a quiet falling over the area after this initial kind of, um, you know, massive blast. And, and, you know, whether that's a literal or sort of a metaphorical silence, I feel that's kind of what's captured across the papers this morning from that sort of emotive standpoint on it. Now, you, um, one of the things we do well in Ireland, I would argue at least, is we do cross community events events of grief we come together Irish funerals are notorious all around the world because we all come together I mean it's been a very rancorous few years in Irish politics but we do see here between Mary Lou MacDonald and Micheál Martin they're all up there together Mm. seems to be almost joint press conferences certainly in terms of the Mm. photographs I mean, that's one of the sort of few positive things coming out of it. There's all the the normal partisan stuff is put aside. Yeah, yeah like I, I was kind of struck watching the news on Friday evening and Pierce Doherty was on and it was so unusual to, you know, you're kind of expecting him to, and obviously he never would in, the, in these circumstances, but you were expecting him to have a go at the government. But but of course he didn't and of course he couldn't because, I mean, there's no no fault on the government's part here, it would appear. Um, but but that, that was that was kind of just unusual to see that. And even, the, you know, you can see uh, footage yesterday of, of Micheál Martin and the Taoiseach arriving and kind of very warmly shaking hands with, with Pierce Doherty and local Sinn Féin representatives. So 
that that sort of uh, cross political uh, unity on these issues is is very striking, and the fact that there's been you know everyone has gone, uh, all of the main political leaders. And Liz Truss with a tweet was kind and, of and, uh, unexpected, wasn't it? Yeah, Liz Truss with a tweet as well. But I mean, I, again, you know that that reflects, I think, the fact that this is something that will touch the communities on both sides of the border. You know, because it's so close to the border, and the fact that there was a lot of them. Um, Emergency services and rescue services from from the other side of the border were were involved in in the rescue efforts. So, you know, I think this is a tragedy that has that has touched people across the island, but also you know over the water as well. I mean, I was listening to um, BBC Radio Five Live yesterday, and and um, it was the main story on the news headlines. And I think Sky News have been giving it a lot of coverage, and even you can see the um, you know at the the doorsteps and the media events that the politicians have been doing, and and the the p- police and rescue services have been doing a lot. Of microphones from international news outlets as well so i think that reflects the fact that this is like this is an enormous tragedy like and this is as you said earlier this is 10 people who've um who've died here and it's an enormous uh, death toll for a country of ireland's size and a, and a tragedy of this nature now lauren um, let's get into some of the more detailed pieces um we have the sunday times in particular mm-hmm. talking about the cctv footage which i can imagine is is, is not an easy watch for anybody, even those who are investigating this awful incident. I suppose it will show us a little bit the way the explosion happened, who was there, you know, those technical among us will will, will watch the, the direction of the explosion. It'll probably tell them a bit more about what the cause of it is. There's a little bit of, um, I suppose, hinting in here about what might have caused this in this Sunday Times piece by John Mooney. And certainly we're not going to, on this station, say what happened. We don't know. But there, there are a few little strands, a little threads about what might have happened. Can you tell us a little bit about that piece that, uh, and what they're, they're, they're saying in there? Yes, so the, the front page story there on the, the Sunday Times talking about the Guardian examining the CCTV footage of the incident, um, which, you know, has given gave, gave them... It was valuable information of, of what the the scene was like around the the petrol station in in the minutes you know the moments coming up to to the incident. Um, what Guardi have said is that they you know um, essentially that it's a tragic accident um, that there's not being you know blame kind of placed on anyone. Um, this piece or, or certainly you know not an intentional blame or deliberate no no kind of criminal I suppose uh, involvement suspected in it at this point. Um, uh, the, I suppose the line here, which sort of sums it up, which says that evidence could indicate, uh, evidence that could indicate what caused the gas leak may have been destroyed during the overnight effort to rescue survivors and yesterday's operation to retrieve the bodies of the victims. Uh, that was an interesting point, um, the, which sort of, I suppose, illustrates the, the difficulty uh, with investigating this kind of incident as well. Um, and I think... I think what's also going to be kind of important in the weeks to come as well, kind of thinking about, you know, looking at what what did cause the incident. Um, there's there's an interesting piece later on in the Sunday Times where they interviewed a structural engineer who who discussed that actually the from his perspective what he could see of the building is that the the, the structure of it actually looked quite sound, looked quite well well designed, that it was in line with regulations from from what he could kind of determine. Um, but it will it will be something, and and he made the point that that probably prevented further casualties which may have occurred if the building had been you know of, of, of kind of substandard conditions um, and I think in that light there there will probably be discussions to be had in the coming weeks or months around are there some sort of safety regulations that we might be you know looking to legislate for that could you know embed that kind of building standard further 
Um, obviously, um, right now, everything, it's a bit too raw to kind of get into that really sure, yet. It's, but it's, it's, it's something, too early, but may, maybe something mm. down the line, uh, positive for society more generally, can grow out of these tragedies. Uh, very briefly, because we've got to take a break, um, there's some interesting human detail you in the Daily Mail, I suppose, the little pieces of people's lives, they've kind of reassembled them, uh, which is kind of brings the thing alive almost far more than any other reportage because it talks about people going in to buy ice cream and so mm. on, and some of the names of the yeah. victims also coming through. Yeah, so, I mean, not all of the victims have been uh, publicly identified, at least at this point. And usually that's because, um, you know, there's usually difficulties trying to raise certain family members or notifying uh, family to, to ensure that they're not hearing it on, on the airwaves or reading it in, in the newspapers or on the Internet. Um, but some of the victims have been named, as you say, over the last kind of 12, 24 hours. And um, there's Leona Harper, a very talented rugby player who was uh, reportedly buying ice creams to 14 years of age. Uh, Jessica Gallagher, uh, home from Paris, 23 years of age from the village. I, I think she was studying in Belfast uh, and her boyfriend uh, was there as well. I think they, they lived in the apartments above the, the filling station and her boyfriend is, is in hospital at the moment with very, with very serious injuries. And then there's there's Catherine O'Donnell um, who, who died with her son in, in, in the blast, which is obviously just absolutely devastating for, for their family. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that we, you know, in, in the darkest times in Ireland, what we do very well is we come together as a community and you can see that there's no greater evidence of that, I think, than this GoFundMe page that's been set up by uh, Jared McFadden, who's a, a residing in Brisbane, Australia, but is from the village of, of Creaselaw. Uh, in Donegal and he set up a GoFundMe page just a day ago aiming to raise 20,000 euro for um the uh for the for the uh, for, for the victims for their families for the community there in Creaselaw and so far he's raised 159,000 euro Brilliant, which is just an extraordinary very, amount of money to raise in that, yeah, in a very in short period, period of time, time yeah 3.7 or 3,700 3, donors so far and I, I mean, I think that's some that's a fund that's that's going to um, multiply over the days ahead because I think you can see and you can see just uh, scrolling through before we came on air, people are giving twenty euro, people are giving five hundred euro, they're giving whatever they can uh, in the hope that it might help this community recover from this devastating tragedy. Now this is on the record. Emmett Oliver sitting in today for Gavin Riley and what is a very sad and subdued weekend after events in North Donegal, which we've been discussing earlier. We will, of course, come back to those events in the second half of the program, but we are going to have a quick exploration of other things that are going on in the papers there's actually a fair bit of news uh, outside of Donegal unfortunately there are things grinding on as normal uh, Hugh O'Connell is political correspondent with the Irish Independent he's with us and also with us is Lauren Boland who is a reporter with journal.ie now you let's go and talk about some of the other things that are happening and one of the oldest stories in the book which is the pedestrianisation of College Green um, it's it, Eamon Riley seems to be like almost catnip to Sunday newspapers because he's always saying something or has a new idea or fresh thinking or some plan or proposal he's now going to finally apparently press on next year with the pedestrianisation of College Green A do you believe it'll happen and if it will how important do you think it'll be well, I, I mean, yeah, as as you said, Emmett, this is something that that we've been talking about. Any anyone who lives in Dublin uh, or or goes into Dublin on a regular basis will have heard this old idea of pedestrianising College Green, which is, I suppose, has become over the years, uh, you know, more and more restrictive for for cars and buses travelling down it. Um, and and the idea, I suppose, um, that has been talked about is is pedestrianising it right up all the way to potentially the uh, turn on to to George's Street. Um, 
but Eamon Ryan is, is setting out a very clear timeline here for this to remove traffic, um, uh, to phase out uh, the traffic from College Green from next year, and that that will be part of a wider plan over the next three years to remove uh, traffic from Dublin city centre uh, almost entirely. Uh, that seems very ambitious, um, but then this is a government which has uh, you know, staked its reputation in terms of climate uh, action on a very ambitious agenda to uh, to decarbonise the, the, the country. Um, and you know, I, I think that this is something that um, will be welcomed by an awful lot of people. Uh, it, equally, an awful lot of people will be very annoyed by it. Um, there will be an awful lot of objections. So it's a typical Eamon Ryan story. So it's then, a typical Eamon right? Ryan story, yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I mean, pers- on a personal level, I think it's a very good idea. Uh, I, you know, I think that the best way of, of getting cars out of the city centre is to pedestrianise uh, places as much as possible and I suppose you know encourage people as much as possible to use public transport to get into the city centre because you get a lot of people complaining about the levels of traffic in the city centre well I mean the best way to get around that is to provide a good public transport uh, and good options for people to get for, and uh, it's a, a nice different part, way it's a nice the part of the city right it's With, a lovely uh, part you know, of the city and, and um, there's plenty of space right it's like a boulevard it's, it's absolutely yeah and it, you know just the way it's structured at the moment seems quite unusual um, and it, it doesn't I don't think it lends itself to a very uh you know, picturesque. Uh, it is a very picturesque part of the city, but it doesn't lend itself to uh, being uh, more family friendly and more uh, commuter friendly by uh, you know having cars and buses going down and lots of traffic jams there uh, at peak, uh, peak. Of course, the, the peak Lewis runs around the, the corner there in front of Trinity, so yeah, exactly, there's going to be yeah. some moving transport. But well, of course, there. yeah, but I mean, you know, the the. the you know, the, the, there's a Lewis stop, I think, at Trinity, um, and you know, I think that the, the, there there is scope, though, I think, for removing cars from that area in order to uh, facilitate a greater kind of family-friendly spaces, and you know, just kind of bring a bit of liveliness to that that part of the city because at the moment it's kind of clogged up with with cars and, and buses going down it. So. Um, you know, and I think that you know he's talking much more widely in, the, in this interview in the Sunday Business Post today about um, you know g- getting traffic off the keys as well. I think at a certain point, um, he says that Dublin City Council. I mean, ultimately, this is a matter for Dublin City Council. It's not so much in, in, within Ryan's remit, but it you know he's saying that Dublin City Council is committed to taking action on this. So, look, we'll see. I mean, he's as he's saying, he's saying from the beginning yeah. of next year this is going to be well, this is going to start. So uh, I guess we'll find out very soon whether it is actually going to happen. Laura, after several years of it being talked about. A bit like buses, they come in pairs. We've got. A Another Eamon Ryan story at the top of the business post as well. Uh, he's not as directly involved in this, but we have two energy stations, or electricity stations, which were meant to come on stream, and we desperately need them. But apparently, inflation may put pay to that, according to the story. Uh, page one: uh, Lorcan Allen and Daniel Murray. Yes. Yeah, so another addition, I think, here to the, the long saga we've had this year and last year around energy and and what our what our energy secu- security and supply is going to look like over the winter. Um, in this story, the the situation is that there were five companies that uh, earlier this year won contracts to work on supplying these these new these new power sources. Um, but now because of inflation, um, obviously, as with many other areas of society, the cost of that has gone up. Um. One power plant developer who spoke to the Business Post, he said that when the bids were submitted for the capacity auction earlier this year, no one would have forecast that the inflation, you know, inflation would go up to 15%. Um, and he said that, or they said that the project is now very close to the line in terms of viability, which of course is sort of language that indicates, you know, <laughs> uh, there the, and actually he says it explicitly that the, we could have to plug pull the plug on this project very soon. Now, of course, um, there's always a, an element of, of uh, you, you wonder, is, is that... Um 
is are they genuinely that close to the edge or are they just kind of trying to put the pressure on the government as opposed to make changes a bit of both probably a bit of both companies will be looking for more you know to make it more attractive as a contract presumably as the thing cycles out we're going to come back to the whole inflation energy thing uh, but for now thank you very much Lauren Bolan and Hugh O'Connell who are paper viewers we'll talk to them in the second half of the hour but now we're taking a short break on the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.